Welcome to the podcast of the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary, a space for ongoing dialogue among Asian American scholars, ministry leaders, and activists. Welcome to Princeton Seminary. My name is Dr. David Chow. I direct the Center for Asian American Christianity. Um, this, is, this public lecture is part of the Dialogues in Asian American Theology and Ministry, which is a forum for support and critical reflection on ministry by Asian Americans, especially in Asian American ecclesial contexts. We are in for a treat today. I'm going to introduce our speaker who's published a new book called Doing Asian American Theology and whose public lecture today is titled Being Asian American Theologically. Is that the title? I think that's the title. That is correct. So Dr. Daniel Lee serves as the founding academic dean of the Center for Asian American Theology and Ministry and assistant professor of theology and Asian American studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. An ordained Presbyterian minister, he has served in a number of ministry contexts, including campus ministry, chaplaincy, Korean immigrant church, pan-Asian ministry, and multi-ethnic churches. He is also the author of Doing Asian American Theology, a contextual framework for faith and practice, Double Particularity, Karl Barth, Contextuality, and the Asian American, and the Asian American Theology, and various books, book chapters, and articles. Welcome, Daniel. Now, before I turn the floor over to Daniel, I just want to outline the game plan for today. Uh, Professor Lee will lecture for about maybe 40 to 45 minutes, and then we're going to have a lot of time for interaction. Uh, Professor Lee really wants to have a conversation regarding some of the themes from his presentation. And so um, myself and hopefully we'll have an RA who can roam with a microphone in the room so that we can encourage questions, comments, back and forth, and we'll close at 5 p.m. So that's the game plan for today. Professor Lee, the floor is yours. Thank you so much for everybody here who, who's actually here. I, some old friends I saw, I met during lunch. Like an hour ago, um, I, I want to especially thank Dr. David Chow, my friend and colleague, and also Princeton's Theological Seminary. I actually think it's quite ironic the fact that I'm giving a lecture entitled "Being Asian American Theologically" because what I guess it, I think it's 23 years ago, quite old, right? That when I was at Princeton, I came to Princeton because I did not care about Asian American stuff, right? I was like, I want to go to a place, and I'm sharing this during lunch. I want to go to a place where I'm far, far away from the immigrant church context in which I grew up, which was so dysfunctional and most likely dysfunctional because we were Asian American. That's what I thought. So I was going to go to a place where they had pure, unadulterated theology that fell from heaven through Kelvin, right? And Cobard and everybody else. It's been a long journey. And so I talk about that in my book, the fact that it's been a long journey to myself. Right? How do you get to a place when, in the very beginning, you say, this is, aren't I the problem? Aren't all the cultural stuff, and all the, and actually that's the fact, that's all the language I had, just whatever cultural aspects of who I am is the problem. So that's actually what I thought. But it's been a long journey, which I talk about in chapter one. What I want to talk about in this short lecture is to, is to kind of talk about what it means to be, what it means to be Asian American, and thinking about Asian American churches, what I'm basically contending is the fact that many Asian American ministries and churches are socially 
and culturally Asian American, but they are not theologically or spiritually Asian American. If you read the book, the last chapter of the book, I have like a, you can call it a tirade. It's a severe critique on the multi-ethnic church and the failures of that. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow, actually, with the pastors up in Northern Jersey, right? Talk about that. But if you wanted to read, if you want to read that part, you can actually just read the chapter. But I want to talk about here just the existence and reality of Asian American churches and Asian American Christians, the fact that they exist, right? And for many Asian American churches, they're there because the theology just is whatever they basically adopted in seminary. Our theological education is pretty much white, white normative. And in that sense, I don't actually say that that's actually totally not helpful because it does help in some sense. But we're not really taking stock of what it means to be Asian American as a ministry. What does that really mean, right? I think what one of the reasons why people come to Asian American churches and why even socially and uh, culturally being Asian American is important is that it's a place where you can just be human. Like you don't have to think about being Asian American in an Asian It's almost as though that's actually why you're there, not to mention the fact that you're Asian American. So one of the pastors says, well, why would you not talk about being Asian American? Because this is precisely the place where I don't have to think about that. I'm just human. I'm just a person. I can just focus on God without getting some strange microaggressions or talk, people asking about who I am. None of that. I'm just, I just exist. And in that sense, I think there's a lot, there's a lot that we can commend for that because that's not easy to be a place where you can just be yourself in, in your three-dimensional Asian-Americanness or in, in your Asian-American identity or just as a person. Because one of the things that I kind of talk about later on in the lecture is the fact that Asian-Americanness is not even for me, not all of who I am. It's an aspect of who I am, but there are obviously other ideas that I have. I think part of what we're trying to figure out is how does this Asian Americanness play a role in our interaction with God? So if Asian American churches are safe spaces where we can be human, or maybe spaces where we can be human as Asian American, culturally and socially, that's a great thing, but there's actually a, a higher calling. There's a calling, a particular calling of why Asian American ministries and churches exist. And it's to think about this spiritually and theologically, which is basically what I want to talk about, and saying, well, why be theologically Asian American? Why be spiritually Asian American as a ministry? With this point, we have to go to the very source. Not our Asian American identity, not our Asian American context, not some progressive agenda about making sure that we're authentic selves, we start with who God is. Because if God doesn't really care about us being particularly Asian American, then we really shouldn't care about it either. So the question is, what is God like? What does God care about? And a way of describing this thing is basically, um, I mean, chapter two, I have a whole section on supersessionism. Why, when you, when you lose Israel, when you lose the Jewishness of Jesus, you end up with kind of an abstract God, right? A God that's just a principle. But that's actually not how revelation, how scripture reveals who God is. Um, Pascal has this kind of, uh, this little note he's kind of carrying around in his, uh, in his coat pocket. 
It was not God of the philosophers, of the savants, but God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A God who comes and encounters who we are. It turns out, I mean, if you're familiar with the Bible and Deuteronomy, for example, for doing um, COVID-19 and all this stuff, I was listening to the Bible, right? So I haven't listened to the Bible. So I think I'm now, I think in what? Isaiah. So I started like way back, but I've, I've kind of inching along, right? I was listening to Deuteronomy, and it occurred to me the fact that how much Deuteronomy repeats the word, this, this phrase, over and over again. God, your God. God, your God. It's that the fact that in the covenant, not only do we belong to God, but God belongs to us. It's kind of odd, because I think if you read scripture and the idea of how God wants a particular kind of relationship with us, it's not only the fact that we belong to God and we come and listen to God, but the fact that God listens to us. The second idea is the fact that God is the God of creation. I start with this because God is the God of creation. God is the God of resurrection, the incarnation. Our, in, our bodies matter to God. And one of the things that I think uh, I, when I would teach, I would remind my students, Asian American students, I would say, what do you think your resurrected body would look like? And I would say, you know, your resur resurrected body would be Asian American. And some of them had to think about it, like, but isn't that glorified? And I was like, do you think glorified bodies would look like whiter? Like, what does that mean, glorified bodies, right? Would it be something other than what your body looks like? What does it mean, the fact that we proclaim resurrection of the body as part of our creed? Fundamentally, it's affirming the fact that creation and created being and embodiedness is part of how God interacts with us. And the last thing is the fact that God has got the kingdom, the fact that powers and principalities of the world, political forces, all that matters to God. That that is not lost on God. Let me um, put it in a different way. Many times when people talk about contextuality in scripture, they actually go to Two places. I don't know if you're familiar with people who talk about how it's important, the fact that we pay attention to context. They'll actually focus on usually incarnation or Pentecost. If you're familiar with contextual literature, you know, missiology, they'll say it's just like how God became incarnate in a particular flesh. We have to think about the gospel in every context. The only problem is in one incarnation. There actually is no multiple incarnations in scripture. I mean, analogically, I think you can talk about it, but it's only one way, right? God becomes human, and that's it. Like, does humanity really matter to God? That's what we're talking about. Does it go back and forth? I think even in terms of Pentecost, you can think about the Holy Spirit being translated in different ways, but the message is exactly the same. What I want to say is that one of the ways we think about how our covenantal relationship God matters and how God being the God of creation God of the covenant and God of kingdom. Well, if you look at the core narratives of different people, it's very interesting because the core narratives can't be interchanged. I used to say, well, why didn't why didn't Moses why didn't God tell Moses, Moses, your identity is in me? Don't think about Egyptian identity or Jewish identity or Israelite, whatever. Don't think about other stuff. Your identity is in me. You're good. Right? And, you know, live a, live a righteous life. That's not what God says to Moses. 
it's a very particular call and a calling depending on that all depends on who Moses is, what his context is, the fact that he's under the Egyptian empire, and what he can do and what he can't do. And it's the same thing. And you can't replace Moses' calling with Mary, nor with Esther's calling. They're particular encounters. Like who they are matters to God. Which is what, see, what I'm arguing for. It's a covenant of relationship, right? Who we are matters to God, and God sees that and acknowledges that. Now, if you, you erase Jewishness altogether, then none of this matters. God becomes kind of an eternal principle, a moral principle, you just follow. But that's not how God reveals who God is in Scripture. So in that sense, when we think about why we matter, why, why our identities would matter, our context would matter. And some people say, well, why, why would, I mean, if you look at like Pentecost, maybe our language and culture matters, but why would our bodies matter? For example, like Asian American identity, that's like a social construct, does it really matter? Well, it turns out, no matter what their identity is in Scripture, God's seeing what, the fact that they live that way. There's something about where they are, and it matters to God. In God's encounter with us, however you're experiencing yourself and your identity, God's acknowledging that because it goes both ways, right? It's not just one way God's just throwing something at you and saying, this is what it is. If we believe that God's a living God, how we experience life, where we are, what our calling is, what our struggles is, it all matters to God. And that's basically what I want to talk about in terms of what we think about, you know, what, why this matters, right? What does it mean to hear God's call in the particular situation that we find ourselves and to respond in a spiritual and theological way? Uh, I think a simple way of thinking about this thing is I, I basically say a way of thinking about why this will matter is talk about the particular hurts that we have as Asian Americans, the particular sins, that, so particular sin is racism, uh, one example of it. Or it can be like your family dynamics, or it can be a number of things, right? Of course, all of us have just generic human experiences, but there are particular things that are there that actually is defined in terms of how we think about Asian Americanness. Well, what are the particular sins? I have a picture of people going to school, right? You know, one of the ways in which Asian Americans sometimes sin is by doing, by obeying, by performing, by, by accomplishing, which is really bizarre because you think that that's a great thing, but like I was talking to some of my friends, sometimes when you pastor, you know that some people are working really hard and serving, but there's something off about how they're serving. You're like, I see you. And you're serving well in church, but why are your kids complaining the fact that you're never at home? Something weird is happening, right? Or you say, well, isn't the education great? But then look at all the collateral damage of education, mental health, physical health. So even though people outside the Asian American community, they might say, oh, this is great. This is one of the gifts of your community. Inside, we say, oh, wait a minute. There are some things within our community we know. There are nuances here that you don't realize. Uh, how do we make sure we specifically target those things? Or particular gifts that we have. This is a picture of uh, Mazinar. It's a Japanese-American concentration camp. It's a picture of uh, a lot of the Muslims who come every year. We have a pilgrimage every year that the Mazinar committee is organizing these pilgrimages. And so Fuller has been going for the last, you know, a couple of years ago. We're going to go again this year. 
it turns out that during World War II, when Japanese Americans were being incarcerated, a lot of Japanese Americans, when they came out, they tried to assimilate as much as possible. And that's one of the reasons why, I mean, also governmental policies made them kind of spread apart, spread around the whole country. That's basically why a lot of the Japanese Americans in the Gonsei, third generation, they're like, they're like all mixed race. That is actually a governmental policy. It's not just because they were choosing that. I had a Japanese American friend who said, after, after the camps, I couldn't find a Japanese American woman who would date me as a Japanese American man. Everybody wanted to marry out. But a lot of the Japanese Americans who, who realize and own their, their pain and their struggle, they said this is not going to happen again to other people. So when September 11th happened, or even before, they reached out to the Muslim community. And actually, if you look at the record, September 11th, you know, all the, I mean, all the anti-Muslim um, rhetoric and everything else, Japanese Americans were the first ones. I think it was like day two or three. They're like, never again. You will not treat these people like how you treat you, you treated us. Now, that actually takes a particular way of owning who you are. Because if you didn't own that, there are plenty of Japanese Americans who didn't own that, who just said, I'm going to become invisible. I don't want to remember this. Who cares what happens? But a lot of Japanese Americans who said, I'm going to own this because it matters. It matters, and my suffering will, will, will not be wasted. What are the particular hurts of your community? What are the particular sins? What are the particular gifts? This is what we're talking about. I was awakened to this when I was a student here because, like I said, when I entered Princeton, I didn't think any of this mattered. And I thought that my goal was to be, you know, to, to study whatever white theology that was there. I didn't, I didn't have that language for that. But slowly through multiple events in my life, for example, I realized, uh, I realized that when I got married, I bring all my baggage with me and I, it just doesn't disappear. Because I was like, oh no, that, that's my parents. I'm, I just watch TV and I'm going to be like whatever, you know, TV couple, like uh, Dr. Huxable. <laughs> Ironic, right? <laughs> but that's basically what I thought. Like whatever TV, that's basically what my life is going to look like. But you realize, oh, all this stuff, all my, all my background still matters. And of course, if you're in therapy, or if you, ever, if you understand psychology, that doesn't go away. That's what I started realizing when I got married. Of course, when you have kids, I mean, when you start hearing your dad's words through your mouth, it, it's disturbing. But that's not going to just go away because you don't want it to go away. Uh, I think one of, the other, one of the other things I realized was that I left the Korean-American immigrant church and Asian-American ministry and said, I'm never going to look back. But what I realized was that uh, for some of these people who are actually going to predominantly white churches, all their hurts from their families, from their churches, they just sat there. Nobody was ministering to that, those hurts, those particular issues. So they were hearing a, they're hearing a particular gospel that was actually speaking to them, but it wasn't engaging particular aspects of their, their pain. Right? Or they're gifting. People had no idea what that is. Well, you're too quiet. You're like this. And so all of who they were was being pathologized. So there they they was a mismatch in terms of where they were as opposed to what the ministry was going on. And I think a lot of people think, well, when you contextualize, isn't it because you're dumbing down the gospel? I would say 
it's not dumbing down or making it more palatable. Often, I think about how we engage the context is sharpening the gospel. So you actually go even sharper and saying, this is what's happening, right? For, for other people, you think this is all fine, but for you, this is a sin. This is what you have to repent of. This is what transformation looks like. So it goes both ways. It's not just dumbing it down. I mean, it's not it's never dumbing it down. It's sometimes making a connection. It's sometimes sharpening to figure out exactly what's going on, whether it's good or bad. That's basically what it means to engage the context. So if you engage this way, that basically means uh, we will talk about a particular healing that comes or a, or a particular healing or a particular transformation or a particular contribution we make to the world. So in my end of days, I uh, was invited to be a speaker at a church that, that has a lot of Asian Americans, but don't call themselves Asian Americans uh, nearby in New York City. But this church basically, so the, but the young adult ministry was predominantly Asian American, right? But the church is actually supposed to be just gospel church, right? I go speak at this, and I said, I'm going to come and talk about community um, because I'm going to this journey myself. And I go over there, and, and you know, some of the best preaching in the world, I think, in this church, right? I'm there basically preaching and talking about, and this small group of people who are young adults, all Asian American at this predominantly, like, you know, like, I think, like, Asian American and, and predominantly white, right? This church. And I'm talking about, like, family issues and community dynamics, and, and people are just weeping. And I was like, but don't you get this? Don't you get this from your church? They don't get any of it. That's when I woke up and I said, wait a minute, this doesn't work. There is a particular pain here that your great ministry with the world-renowned preacher has no idea of. There's, there's kind of a mismatch. It, so the aspect of ourselves, because Asian Americans can have multiple identities, which is actually part of the book that I talk about, the fact that sometimes we know how to navigate a white world. We know how to present ourselves in a particular way, right? And you know that certain spaces are not safe, so you're not going to mention the fact that you're Asian American. You don't talk about that. You're like, oh, I'm just a person, right? So Because you, you know it's not a safe space. You know how to navigate that space. Sometimes when we go to some of these churches, which self we take to the church varies, right? And which self hears the gospel varies. So sometimes I'll, when I was growing up, I would present like more of the white normative self in the certain spaces, and I won't mention anything Asian Americans because if I do, I'm kind of outing myself and I can be vulnerable to some kind of racial kind of comment, and I don't want that. Now, when Asian Americans often go to churches, the question is, what self do they take? And what is the gospel that's preached to? And what is the gospel that ministers to which self? What I'm saying is, they're missing certain dimensions of discipleship because these things are not being talked about. Now, in thinking about this, so if we're talking about being theologically Asian American, because that has to do with who God is, and the fact that who we are actually matters to God, Right? Like your particular life experience matters to God. Your particular racial experience matters to God. Your cultural experience, all that matters to God, right? Your family background matters to God. Also, all the sociological dimensions as well, right? So it's not so much the fact that it's just Asian Americanness, that matters along with everything else, is basically what the point is, right? But the question is, what is Asian American? And this is a question I get a lot because the people, 
uh, and writers who basically critique the category of Asian Americans saying this is not very helpful, it's inadequate. And I basically tell people it's, it's not so much the fact that it's inadequate, it's that Asian American identity is one aspect of who I am. So a lot of times when I interact with people, I talk about the fact that uh, I'm Asian American, I'm Korean American, I'm a Reformed theologian, I'm a son, I'm a father, I'm a brother. I have multiple identities, right? Just like if you are, if you are a Nigerian immigrant, you have your racial identity because you're black, whether you like it or not. And you weren't black in Africa, but you're black now. So you have to accept that. Now, you have a Nigerian immigrant, so you have Nigerian heritage. And maybe even a tribal heritage, because you know Nigeria is like, has different tribes, right? You have a national, tribal heritage. You have, you have multiple identities, right? Well, I think one of the things that we would try to figure out is how do we define Asian Americanness so we don't actually end up in a box? Because that's one of the reasons why we, I didn't like Asian American theology when I was when I was at uh, when I was at Princeton, even afterwards, right? And David and I, we talk a lot about this because if you don't define Asian Americanness in a way that's going to be that's going to really reflect what how all of you experience Asian American identity, then you basically feel like it's it's not written for you. Like you read Asian American whatever, and you're like, that's not really me. That's some kind of a stereotypical version of who I am. There are some things that we have to avoid when we talk about Asian American identity. First of all, we have to make sure that Asian American identity is dynamic. Because how I thought about Asian Americanness in my teens, as opposed to in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, it's very, very different. Right? It keeps on changing. So you want to respect the fact that it keeps on changing, that it's not static. Right? The fact that Asian American identity is hybridic. It's not like if I. <laughs> Being me being Asian American doesn't mean the fact that I'm going to eat kimchi every day. Like, that's, just, that's like nonsense. What does that really mean? People in Korea don't eat that. My mom went to Korea and came back and said, like, my Korean name is Songwoo. It's like, Songwoo, you are more Korean than the Koreans in Korea. And she said, did you know they toast for breakfast? So I was like, what did you think they would eat? Like, rice and soup and kimchi? Like, I mean... Because her Korea is like 50 years ago. So she thinks Korea is stuck in time, but that's not any living culture. It's not static, right? It just keeps on going. Now, Asian American identity looks like it's, it ends up being a bit more static, right? Because it's like stuck in time. They call it the time capsule kind of phenomenon. It gets stuck in time. And then you say, oh, this is what, you know, aunties will be like, this is what Indianness means. You're like, no, that's not, India's moved on. Like, that's, that's you. That's our family. That's not what, what, what the world looks like, right? So you want to you, you understand the fact that even in Asia, people's identities are hybridic. It's actually multiple things. It's not like if you read Confucius, people are like, oh, no, that's who I am. No, it's not like that even. In a, so one of my friends went to, the Chinese-American friends went, went back to, you know, visited China. And he said, those people don't act like how they should. Like, the TV shows and everything else say, oh, this is how Chinese people act. And I went over there. And they don't act like that. They are not collective in the cities. They don't care. Like, it's like no, because that's a stereotype you've absorbed, right? And the people are even in the urban side as the countryside. It, there's a significant difference. And see, for Asian Americans, it's gonna be hybridic, right? It doesn't necessarily mean the fact that authentically, if you're Asian American, it means a particular thing. It also has to be multifaceted. The fact that we have multiple aspects of who Asian Americans are, right? So if you think about it that way, and if you think about some of the misconceptions. 
you know, this whole thing, whenever I talk about the center, when I, whenever I talk about Asian Americanness, I say, my goal is, is not to make you more Asian American. And this whole thing we're talking about, our goal is not to make people more Asian American. I, I, I tell people generally that, that I'm not your mother. I'm not your grandmother. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care who you marry. Like, that's not what the issue is. Because even if you're on this journey and you own Asian Americanness, it doesn't necessarily mean the fact that we're all going to basically marry our own same ethnicity. It doesn't mean that, right? Those are all kind of stereotypes you absorb. And I think when we think about Asian Americanness that way, it's, it's a straitjacket. So it doesn't mean that. It doesn't necessarily even mean the fact that you eat more of this, speak better. It doesn't mean all those things. I think one of the ways we, we want to think about this is to say, Asian Americanness is a dynamic experience. And, and one of the most important things about how we think about Asian Americanness is the fact that, hey, we have our personal experience, our own personal narrative, but we have to understand that personal narrative with critical knowledge, with Asian American history in mind, right? Otherwise, you know what you end up with? Well, me and my friends were all rich and went to, went to Ivy League. That's how Asian America is. And you're thinking to myself, please be educated, right? That's not a very good way of representing Asian America, right? Oh, all of us have toxic parents. All of us have toxic parents? Like, I'm, I know you saw a lot of TV and video, you know, and movies representing Asian Americans that way, but is that what Asian America is? Uh, for me, it, it was a long journey to understand the fact that there's such thing as Asian American studies. There's Asian American psychology. It's been around for 50 years. There are a lot of uh, newly, I call it newly woke Asian Americans who are like, you know what? All Asian, all Asian American people are stupid. I learned from my, I, I am the first one to learn from black people. Me. Now I know about race. And I say, please sit down. Asian American studies interacted with black studies 50 years ago. Okay, you are not the first one. You just don't know. You are ignorant about Asian American studies. That's why you're saying stuff like that. Now, is it their fault? It actually is not their fault individually. I tell this story about how my, uh, my kids, uh, they, they're really spoiled in this sense. They, are, they live in uh, St. Gabriel Valley, which is the most Asian American populated place like in the U.S. It's a humongous, it's like a city, right? But so it's not an Asian American bubble because the bubble is humongous. And so they go to an Asian American school, uh, which is majority Asian American, with teachers that are majority Asian American, and they still know more about Black history than Asian American history. Why? Because it's the curriculum, right? This is California. I mean, this is like there are Asian American studies, ethnic studies everywhere. It doesn't necessarily mean that you you will learn those things. This is a structure problem about how. Asian American history and Asian American studies is erased in society. That's basically why, like in New Jersey and different states, are fighting for these things. Because if you don't understand history, you can't understand where, how you fit in. So you're lost. You only have your personal narrative that's all you have, which is actually not, not rich enough to articulate what your experience looks like. That's basically why I say when people talk out of their personal experience, it's, it's very limited. You, what you have to do is situate your personal experience with critical knowledge, and the critical knowledge you will not get from your family. You will not get from your friends. You need to literally learn this thing. You have to, you have to go, read books, attend a course, and actually get that. Now, most of us, we get some of this stuff 
about black history through our educational system, through our media, random Hollywood movies. You just learn. We don't get that with Asian Americanness. So for us to figure out what it means to be theologically Asian American, but if we think Asian Americanness is some stereotypical things that white media represents us as, well, why would you want that? Why would you accept that? So there's two sides here, right? And I kind of call it as um, just like Calvin's uh, double knowledge. He doesn't mean it in the same way, but I mean it in the same. I mean it this way, right? The fact that there's knowledge of God and knowledge of who we are, and they both matter. And I think the reason why I think of it this way is because it's a covenantal relationship. Like who we are matters to God, and of course, who God matters to us. That, and, and it goes both ways. Now, of course, the relationship is asymmetric, obviously, right? Because it's God. But God wants this kind of a relationship. That one of the things that, one of my favorite books in the Bible is the um, book of Job. Because the book of Job is not just about suffering. Uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of, some of the people who grew up in like evangelical churches, uh, there's a song by Matt uh, Beth Redman called uh, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, right? Blessed be the name. He gives and takes away. Blessed. All right. The problem with that song, and it's, they wrote this thing because they lost a child, miscarriage, so they wrote this thing. I think it's a beautiful story. The only problem is that's not the point of the book. Right? Job says that in chapter one, and he fights with God for like 40 chapters. So if you think that's the point of the book without the struggle, it short circuits the whole book. And what's weird, so uh, I was talking to a pastor and he said, oh, you know, I, I, this, the point of the book is the fact that you don't actually doubt God. You say foolish things and God rebukes you. I'm like, did you finish the book? Did you read the whole book? What does God say at the end? Job, you are, so Job, um, God rebukes Job. And then God turns to Job's friends and said, you were wrong about me, not like my, 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 my servant Job. Job was actually right about me. What did Job say? Job said, you know what? I know God's always right, but it doesn't work that way. There's a way in which I matter to God, right? And I can fight with God. I will lose, but I still, that, that interaction matters to God. And God wants that, right? Which basically means how we think about all this stuff and how we navigate our world and all the struggles, it actually matters to God as much as how, who God matters to us. And Not because it's just normally how it is, that we're equal partners here, but that God wants it to be that way. And so given this thing, going back to uh, Asian American identity, when I was at Fuller, like, so I left Princeton, went to East West Coast. The, I say at the last years of Fuller, uh, Princeton is basically when God, like, dragged me back to Asian American theology because I was like, I don't want that. I do not want all this stuff. God's like, no, this is actually part of the calling, right? Uh, when I was early days of uh, Fuller, somebody asked me, well, one of the professors, what, what's particularly unique about it being Asian American? And I realized it's part of the problem because Asian America as a category is so big, a lot of people don't spend time defining what it is. And so if you don't define what the context is, you can't move forward. And so... I basically developed this thing called the Asian American Quadrature and said, we live at the intersection of these things. All Asian Americans do. It doesn't matter if you're Indonesian, if you're Thai, if you're Filipino, all Asian Americans do. In this meta category, all Asian Americans share this. Now, if you go specific, if you focus on Confucianism, 
then you lose a lot of people very fast, right? You're like, oh no, Confucianism only impacts East Asians and Vietnam. And Vietnam only because China colonized Vietnam, right? So it does not go to South Asia or even parts of Southeast Asia. So, or if you talk about collectivism, well, is collectivism unique? I mean, we have a particular version of collectivism, but South America, a lot of people are collectivists over there, right? Hispanic communities, black communities. So what's the particular version of collectivism we're talking about? Well, anyways, in terms of, or if people talk about migration, you, you, listen, you, you read migration narratives of German immigrants or Irish immigrants, it mirrors what we talk about in our own communities. Generational conflict, all this different stuff, right? Identity, like, you know, uh, like a um, crisis. So the question is, what's unique? Well, one of these things is not unique, but when you start overlapping them, it becomes very unique. So this is just another way of articulating or giving language to our experience. Because, remember, I, I was talking about the fact that we lack uh, kind of a background in Asian American studies because that's how our culture is, right? This is how we are, right? This is actually, it's actually kind of endemic to our culture. The fact is that erasure of Asian American studies, so we think it's just our family and then white academic, right? And then, you know, black stuff as well. That's all we have. When in fact, there's actually like 50 years of research. You can get a whole PhD in Asian American psychology or Asian American, the Asian American studies. This is what I realized. I grew up with four Asian American ministry books that are evangelical. Like two of them were like published by university. I was like, oh, this is all we have. And I realized, and that's what I thought that there was all there was. But when I start learning into Asian American studies, I start drowning. I'm like, I can't read all this stuff. This is too much. I, it's like there's so much material. Well, anyways, so Asian heritage has to do with whatever heritage, you know, your ethnic heritage is, right? So. For me, as a Korean American, it has to do with historical events like the Korean War. It has to do with like Confucianism, because as you know, Korea is one of the most Confucian nations in the world, even though Confucianism comes from China. Uh, it has to do with Buddhism, Taoism. If you know, like the word Hananim in Korea is actually Taoist, actually shamanist as well. So there's a lot of shamanism, Taoism in Korean Christianity in general. Now, it's important for me to know this, not because I'm trying to be more Taoist or more Buddhist. It's just part of who I am. And I used to make some sense of what it is. Just like how, why we study the Enlightenment. You think an average person is saying, do you know the Enlightenment? Do you know Kant? Nobody cares. But we study it because it's part of our context and we want to flesh that out. We want to have language for what that is. Right? The problem is we don't have language for this. So I grew up, even in my 20s and 30s, I would say, and I'll just fashion Korean this because that's who I am. But I, can, I can do that. My friends and I would talk about uh, pastors this way. They'll say, oh, that pastor, so Korean, Ugh. so oppressive, so Korean, right? Say, oh, that pastor, so Americanized. Oh, yes, I want that. Now think about that. Korea has 3,000 years of history. It's like a nation of all different things. How do you reduce Koreanness, this negative thing only? I say, that's babbling. That's like kindergarten level of articulation. So you have incredible amount of articulation for your white, because all of us share white experience. We have that because we're like graduate level people in terms of white experience. When you start talking about like Asian Americanness, we say, you know how we are. I'm like, and whenever people say, 
you know how we are. I'm like, I, I buckle down. I'm like, oh, here comes some racist thing. You know how, something racist, right? You know how we are. Because there's some truth to it, but do you want to articulate that way? That's the level of articulation. And this is a structural problem. We don't have language to articulate, so we can't even do theology. Because how to theology? Because if, you, if it's about being theological, Asian-American, but our level of articulation for Asian-American, this is kindergarten level, how would you do that work? It's literally impossible. That's basically where we are right now. And not only us, this is a structural problem in American society. So that's basically what we're trying to address. I've been teaching this class for like 10 years at Fuller, every year. And I realized that I couldn't just teach, even teach like Asian American theology because they couldn't even understand what was going on. Why would those things matter? They had to understand what is our heritage that is still lingering, whether they like it or not. And some of them, for later generations, it's a bit just an echo, right? What's our migration experience? If you were a refugee, it's a very different thing. By the way, I confess in the beginning, I used to call it immigration because I'm East Asian and I was ignorant. And I realized, oh, I have to be careful because some of them people are not immigrants. They came as refugees and refugees are not immigrants. So I began to realize, oh, I have to be, be, be careful about these things. I can't just have a East Asian normative way of talking about these things, right? So American culture has to do with all the things that are part of who I am. So, I mean, I do like pizza. You know, I mean, it's not like I don't, I, I do like these things. It's not like, it's not like if I'm authentically who I am, I'm not going to watch baseball. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that, right? Because people in Korea watch baseball. It's not like there's some, there's some like pure pre-white, pre-colonial, whatever that I kind of have. That doesn't exist. I have to understand some of the forces that are there, but it doesn't mean that. So, and all the, I think, so that's part of who I am, but also I have to recognize the fact that the U.S. represents Asian Americanness in such a way that it makes it so unattractive. I mean, at least until recently. I mean, really, for a lot, like, a lot of people didn't even know what Korea was. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, all of us, like, a lot of Korean Americans grew up thinking, like, who would want to be Korean American? Because they didn't know what, when they said Korean Olympics, they had no idea what Korea, they're like, is it part of China? Like, what is that? That's how I grew up. Now, things have changed, but how U.S. sees your ethnicity or, like, you know, for the longest, there's a documentary um, about, I don't know what the documentary is called, but it's on Apu, The Simpsons, Indian character, and how that literally ruined multiple, so many Indian American lives. Because that was literally the only Indian American representation you had. I mean, think about that. How toxic would you think that is? And then racialization has to do with the fact that you have to deal with race, whether you like it or not. This is part of your experience, right? And so, um, how do you actually have a graduate? Because a lot, a lot of you are, are, are going to have masters or are going to be even higher. How do you have that level of articulation for your Asian American experience? Because you should, right? Because I mean, if you're that intelligent, You'd be like, and you're educated, you should have that level of articulation for who you are in your community. But we don't. We don't. And it's hard to get it. And what I'm trying to do is make it easier to get. So we actually have some level. Because if you, if you ask um, Asian American churches, what are some of the issues? If you use all the white categories, you can't articulate your particular issues. What language would you use? Because it's the same thing. It's like church, community. But you need more precise language for our own community that's actually appropriate for us and not appropriate for 
you know, non-Asian Americans describing us, right? So, wrapping up in a sense, as this is a quote, right? So I say, Asian American theology is about God revealed in Jesus Christ in covenantal relationship with Asian Americans qua or as Asian Americans, right? Because that Asian Americanness matters. Now, I say, I had a whole scuffle on Facebook because, you know, Facebook is a great place to have sophisticated discussions. And so I wrote that Asian American theology is about God and somebody got upset. It's not about Asian Americans? Do you think black theology is about, about God? Not a black, you know, black Americans? I was like, okay, hold up. All good theology is about God. That's nonsense, okay? The question is, why, why do we talk about Asian Americanness in this, you know, in Asian American theology? Well, because God's a covenant of God. Who we are matters. And right now, we have no idea who we are, so we don't know who we are as covenantal partners with God. So we, what does it mean to be covenantal partners with God? That's basically what I'm trying to flesh out. This book here is more of a methodology, right? I basically say, look, I can't, so I'm, I'm working on other books. I'm working on more specific Korean-American stuff because I can do that. I'm trying to empower, encourage, mentor Filipino-American theologians. And some of them are colleagues. I'm like, hey, let's keep on talking because maybe I can do research, methodological research that you can benefit from, but I know I can't do your work. But you, you do your work, and I'm going to encourage you and support you. I have Indian-American you know, students and scholars. I'm like, hey, keep on doing your work, right? But there's a lot of things that we can share in terms of Asian-American studies or even how we deal with heritage and migration. We could share those methodological things. But everybody has to do their own, own, own theology. You know, if you're not East Asian, you know the frustration of trying to adopt the East Asian theology book for your community. It does not work. It's like there's a lot that you can connect with, but there's a lot of stuff it just doesn't connect with you, right? Because you yourself do that theology yourself. All right. I'm going to share this thing. So this is the last bit of it. If you're going to read the book, it's not, it's not written for lay people. Okay, it's, it's, it's some of the theoretical stuff, I had to make sure I work it out. And so it's, at least it's in one book, right? So some of the stuff is very technical. But a part of it is just basic Asian American studies that all of us should have gotten somewhere, maybe in our secondary education, high school education maybe, but we get zero, right? Like how Asian American experience racism? I think a lot of us should know that. Ma major themes about microaggression. We should all know that. You know how many Asian American psychologists have never read Daryl Sue, who basically came up, did all the clinical research for microaggressions, his article on Asian American micro, Asian Americans and microaggressions. That should be the standard. The fact that Asian American psychologists haven't read that, that's, that's, that's the state of our community. Any, any Asian American doing racial work, they've never read Juan Perea's work on black and white binary paradigm, you will be absolutely uninformed to navigate the racial context of U.S. without understanding black and white binary paradigm. It should be standard, but it's not. So we can't navigate what's, what's going on, what's happening. Anyways, so given that, I say, I'm going to keep on talking. I'm going to stop here. If you're going to read the book and you're not in the technical stuff, because first, introduction is fine, I think, <laughs> but chapter one and two is very heavy because I'm trying to work out some theoretical stuff. Because I say, look, Jew Jewishness and Israel matters. If you recover that, and you start recovering everything else. I'm trying to say that, right? So, supersessionism, all this stuff I interact with. But I think a way of reading the book is to read the last two chapters first. Second to last chapter is about integration. How this matters 
in our relationship with God. What does it mean to be integrated? And last chapter is about why multi-ethnic churches fail. Why it's not an ideal. That, that's kind of like propaganda. So you can read that, why I think it's so, and what it means to be Asian American church. And then, you, and then I would recommend you go to chapter three, and, which is the quadrilateral, and just read from then on. Because that, that's the most manageable way of navigating. All right, so that's, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Awesome. Let's thank Dr. Lee. This gives us about 36 minutes for some conversation. And as folks in the room prepare their thoughts or comments or questions, I invite those on AirMeet to move from the chat function to the Q&A function. Please put your questions in the Q&A thread and um, feel free to upvote those questions that you find most relevant. And Daniel, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your microphone. You can use oh, this microphone. It should, be, it should be sufficient. Okay. And whoever wants to ask a question in the room, they will get this microphone. All right. We've got a question from Daniel Mock. How do we guard against essentialism in our pursuit for developing an Asian American theology that is rooted in our context or when we engage with our Asian heritage or resources in our contextual theology? Mm -hmm. How, do it, how does it not become essential, essentialist? Okay. Okay. Let me up. So the idea of essentialism and identity kind of has to do with the fact that there is some kind of a pure essence of who I am as an Asian American. If you get to it, you know, then you will be your authentic self or whatever. The problem with that is that it ends up being stereotypical. So is my authentic self collectivist? or whatever stereotypes you have. Or, or if you're not like that, are you being not Asian American? See, you start realizing the fact that this is problematic, right? So one of the things that, I mean, so you can think about the whole book this way. The fact that what I'm trying to do is figure out uh, how to talk about Asian American is very concretely, but avoid essentialism, avoid stereotypes, avoid a way of saying, well, this is how usually all of us are. Because that's not true. So I have a one chapter talking about the fact that there's this, I basically create this idea called the cultural archetype, right? Stereotype would be most of us are like this. An archetype that I define is, is a particular idea that's in the context that we're negotiating. But some people are reacting against it. Other people are, you know, like affirming it, right? You can have a family background, who you are and whatever, right? So that archetype is a truth from a stereotype, but now it's separated out from the stereotypical idea. Because stereotype basically says, most of you are like this. If you're not, something's, you're not being authentically who you are. Archetype basically says, you, this is part of your heritage. Now, what people do with it can really differ. For example, I'll just continue on talking about Korea, but um, in Korea right now, people are not getting married. They're not having kids. Are they? So is it because of modern Western influences that are doing that? You can, that's one interpretation. I would, I would also say the fact that Confucian archetype of a mother is so oppressive, they are reacting against it. So the archetype stuff functioning is just people are reacting against it, right? Of course, other Western influences are there. So there's multiple things happening. What, what, what we want to do is when we think about dealing with our heritage, for example, is to kind of identify these things and say, this is what we're negotiating, not to say, this is, you know, uh, this is what kindness means. That's, you want to avoid those kind of things. Because if you go that route, you're going to end up with people who say, well, I don't fit that. I guess I'm not Thai. Like, that's not really true, right? So, because obviously they're Thai in some form. So you want to find a way to kind of talk about it expansively, 
without without uh, falling into stereotypes. It's, it's very technical, right? So how to do that? Because if you can't find a way to do it technically, uh, and so some people are like, why uh, why are some of these chapters so dense? I say it's because if if you start with a simple idea and you take it for a long time, you realize, okay, that's a dead end. And in my in my 20 years of doing this thing, I realized there's so many dead ends. Uh, I, I realized you can't do it that way. So I start putting nuances everywhere, right? That's basically why. Right. Um, I just want to scan the room and give folks in the room an opportunity to formulate a question. And as I see their hands, I can keep a cue going. I also want to encourage people on AirMeet to continue to put their questions in the chat and to upvote them. I see one question here. And I'm going to ask one question first, Daniel. So I was really um, intrigued to hear your narrative regarding um, how you developed what I, what I would say an Asian American Christian consciousness. You initially resisted Asian American theology, but over time, you saw its value. Yeah. So can you identify one or two critical moments in that journey that compelled you towards Asian American theology? This is going to really sound really funny, but one of the moments when I really woke up was reading Karl Barth's letter to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is just because I didn't care about Asian American stuff, right? And I should have learned. I should have learned because I read Cone, I read Park Wheeler. There were all these things I learned. I didn't, I didn't really accept it. What I realized is that I was trying to run away from everything, and I realized, hey, all the pure white theology, you should help me. And I realized they're going to betray me too. Like, no, you have to deal with yourself. You can't run away from that. This is what the letter says. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is running away from his calling. And Karl Barth's like, what are, you, what are you doing? You're going to go study with Gandhi? No, go back. Something's happening in Germany and you have particular responsibility. You go back. And he regretted it later on because he ended up being martyred. But I was thinking to myself, holy cow, I'm complaining about the immigrant, you know, Asian American church so much. I mean, literally, Karl Barth says, your house, the, the, the church is burning down and you're running away. And I said, you know what? I might not be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but there's a responsibility that I'm, I feel like I'm called to. And I realized this is how all theology is done. Everybody, everybody deals with their own context, their own community, right? It's not some generic universal community, right? And so when I started seeing that, whether it be Calvin or Luther, or, you know, uh, or, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Karl Bonhoeffer, or everybody else, all the people that I thought didn't do that, when I started seeing the fact that they do that, they were all my, you know, mentors and models in my mind. I said, there's no way I can run away from this thing. And then you start realizing, oh, yes, you know, all, all this liberation theology has been talking about this for a long time. Like, I resisted. So uh, that's been part of my journey. Like, trying to make some sense of that. And I mean, it's all theological, right? Because if it, if it didn't make sense to me theologically, I was going to buy into it. If, it were, if I felt like it was a, just a political agenda, I'm like, no, I don't buy that. There has to be a reason why it matters to God. And I realized there's no way of escaping it because that's literally who God is. Thank you, Daniel. I think we have a question in the room. I'll go to Darren. Uh, Professor Lee, thanks, thanks for your talk. Um, I've only read kind of bits of the book. So if there's some of this that reflects um, other parts of it, feel free to just point me. This is a bit of um, a kind of two-parter. The first one is a little more of a kind of academic question. Um, as I kind of read much of the opening chapters of the book, uh, a lot of it is uh, involves making kind of methodological claims for how Asian American theology might proceed. But I just kind of wonder who do you like embody some excellent or is an excellent example of Asian American theology done well? Like, do you have some 
particular figures or authors in mind, uh, or yeah, archetypes perhaps. Um, and, and part of that is because I, I noticed that there's definitely some honest criticism of past methodological proposals for doing Asian American theology. But sometimes I'm, uh, you know, as I look at the field, I kind of wonder uh, who's actually kind of making a substantive, you know, after the prolegomen, what, yeah. what kind of comes. So that's maybe the first question. And then the second one is about the Carter. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I could pause here. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the, the second one is about kind of the criticism of the uh, multi-ethnic church model, which is yeah. pretty dominant um, yeah. these days. No, I, I, no. I didn't get to that chapter, but I kind of just want to hear you unpack that a bit and what it means to criticize the multi-ethnic church model in contrast to kind of long-standing debates in Asian American studies about coalitional race building. Um, because I, I think there's an extent to which taking the frame Asian American already implicates some uh, people into a conversation about uh, coalitional like race uh, solidarity conversations. And so I kind of wonder, is there a tension there between criticizing multi-ethnic church projects while retaining some idea of racial solidarity? Oh, I like that. I, I yeah. like your insight. First, first uh, response. Uh, I, I have personally have found Asian American studies more helpful than Asian American theology. I, I, I just confess. Right? Because I, because it's not because uh, other Asian American theology is not helpful because I'm trying to do theology for myself. So I need the tools to do it, right? So that's basically why I, I, I find it that way. Because I'm trying to figure out, so I, I read other people and I'm like, well, I agree with these things, but I don't do it differently. And I can't figure out how to undo it because they don't, they don't show me their methodology, right? Show me what you did so I can say, well, here I disagree so I can change it differently, right? Because otherwise, I'd accept the whole thing. And so, one of my favorite theorists I talk about all the time is Viet Nguyen. He's not a theologian, but I think he's brilliant. I find Viet Nguyen to be incredibly helpful in articulating what it means to be Asian American, how to, how, what it means to represent Asian Americans. I mean, so that's one of the, I mean, the people like that, I think, I think are incredibly helpful, right? I mean, there's like people like Gary Okiro, right? You know, uh, uh, historian. So there are a lot of Asian American scholars I find to be really helpful. It's part of the general work that I'm trying to do. And as far as theology, like, I don't have a problem borrowing from any theology, whether it be Cohen or whether it be like, you know, like whether it be Asian American theologians or whether it be uh, even like, I mean, Sang Lee, I mean, all, so it's fine. Or even like Luther, Karl Barth, whoever, right? It's just that you have to understand what you're getting. Like when I, when I read Luther, I never read Luther as a church father for everybody. I read Luther as a theologian in a particular time and space. And in that sense, I, it can be helpful for me, right? Not like somebody who basically just kind of makes this huge claim. I actually even think about the creeds that way. The fact that the creeds are contextual. And if you read the book, I'm actually quite critical of the Chalcedonian Creed because Jesus fully man, fully divine. And the fact that idea of humanity is, is way abstract, right? So even those creeds are contextual. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to throw them out. It doesn't mean that, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't help in the way that you think it does. For example, I, I have a colleague, a funder, we talk about this thing, the fact that the KKK has no problem with historical orthodoxy. They will be absolutely orthodox in all the creeds. Think about that, right? The creeds were meant for a different kind of problem. It protected us from that. It does not protect us from other things. Now, if we affirm the fact that Jesus is Jewish, we, we should have done if Constantine wasn't so anti-Semitic because he really was openly anti-Semitic, right? He hated the Jews, right? He hated Israel. So if you think about those moves, you say, well, this is a really, really deeply rooted problem. If, 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 if we, unless we address um, 
we're going to have issues, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing, my critique about multi-ethnic churches, I, I think they have a legitimate place. I, my frustration is the arrogance. The picture of heaven idea. World picture of heaven, you're not. I'm like, let me tell you what, let me put a mirror in front of you and show you what your problem is. We have our problems, you have our problems, right? But you have to understand what place you fit into. So, I mean, even with the like Asian American coalition and pan ethnicity, I mean, there are great books on this. Um, you know, this is not a new idea, right? So, if you study Asian American studies, this is like an old idea. They've been talking about it forever, right? Uh, I think in that context, you have to know what the weakness of the coalition is. So, as long as you own the problems, this is what I say. Like, if you, even as a as a family or as a as a parent. If you own your dysfunctions, you'll be a lot better off. Even as a pastor or church, you're like, these are our weaknesses. We have to be careful. Then you protect yourself from really toxic errors. But when you really kind of put yourself on a pedestal, then you start having all kinds of problems. And I think so much of multi-ethnic uh, church uh, rhetoric has really been accepted without real, you know, uh, strict criticism. It's very sloppy. 80-20 definition of Asian American, I mean, multi-ethnic church. Theologically, how would you support that? Does, does it matter who 80 is? We live in a white normative context, and it doesn't matter who, who, the, who the Asian, you know, the, the 80% is. That's really, like, profoundly, I think, just oblivious to how societal forces are and the fact that we live in this context, right? So that's basically why I say there's, a, there's so many blind spots here that it functions more like propaganda. And as, as a theologian, I look at some of the, you know, multi-ethnic uh, books, and I'm thinking, these weren't written by theologians. They're like, just some Bible verses slapped together. And I'm like, if you really push it, it starts falling apart. So I think there is room for it. I do say it's important. Like, you know, it's not like I'm saying they shouldn't exist. I'm just saying you have your thing, and other churches have their own thing, right? So you have to understand what your place is, and what your strengths are, and what your, what your weaknesses are. And when people hear this, they think I'm literally crazy. because we have totally accepted this as just a given, as the idea. But read the chapter and see what you think. Because I think if you, if you read it, I, I feel like a lot of people will say, oh, no, it's very clear. The emperor has no clothes. And we didn't, we, it, of course, they just, it's oblivious. Like, this is, not, this is not true. All right. We have another question from Aramie. This one is from Joyce. How do you respond to people, especially those who had negative Asian American church experiences, who say only our identity in Christ matters, not our ethnic identity? Thanks. I am very sympathetic. I'm very sympathetic to everybody. Because okay? so much of this comes from pain. So I, I feel like it's important to uh, affirm people's experiences, to, to hear them and to be like, yes, I see what you're saying. And, I, and that experience actually fits into a bigger story, right? So that's the first thing I would say. I think the second thing I would say is the fact that uh, it's a theological. So, you know, reasoning out of your own personal experience only is kind of problematic, right? Like my dad was abusive, so all oh, Korean dads are crazy. I'm like, well, that's, that's a really bizarre way of thinking about it. So that way of reasoning isn't very beneficial, even if you find four other friends who are like you, right? Um, this idea of my identity is in Christ and not in my social identity, it's problematic for two different reasons. Because you are in Christ as who you are. And because Jesus is Jewish for all eternity, you are in a Jewish Christ and you are in a Jewish Christ as an Indian American woman, as a Korean American man, right? 
And that's important because that all those aspects of who you are have to be reconciled to Christ. So one of the things I talk about is I don't talk about us being, you know, finding your true self. I say all of who you are have to be reconciled to Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a language distinction I make because I don't want to be like, I don't want to say, well, if you're really who you are, then you should be more, you know, Chinese. I'm like, what does that mean? Chinese of how my grandma defined it, which is China from like, you know, pre like communist revolution or China from whatever. It becomes very, very problematic. I just say, whatever the heritage is, you want that to be reconciled to Christ. You want God's shalom to that aspect of you. You want these all aspects of who you are to have God's shalom. You want different aspects of who you are to be reconciled to each other. Uh, one of the things I say is that like, sometimes when you grow up with such a painful experience of uh, marginalization and, and racism, you literally take your 10-year-old self and lock, lock him in the closet. Don't ever come out. You embarrass me, right? Don't come out. I am a Christian. I don't want to be Korean anymore. I think what God does is say, That's, that little boy you locked up in the closet has to be reconciled to me as well. That healing has to come as well. And because we are in Christ with all of who we are, it's not like we're in Christ with some, some uh, generic humanity. Have you ever seen a generic human? It doesn't exist. It's, like, it's a category, but this idea of, despite, I, I don't really like, I like the idea of Jesus being fully human, fully demand, because I, it seems as though there's a generic humanity. And that's one of the reasons why you can have a white Jesus, because it all depends on how you define human, right? You just replace it with whoever. And you see it right around there, it's basically when Jesus starts becoming Roman. Jesus is fully human. Well, Whoever human it is, we define it by Roman, okay, he's Roman. Or we define it by white, he's white. We define it by Korean, he's Korean. But that's very, very problematic because there's something very, very particular about that season. I think we have a question from the room in the back. Hello, uh, my name is Ben Miller. Uh, all I'm going off of is your, your talk, by the way, and minus the 10 minutes at the beginning I missed. But anyway, I noticed covenant is... Uh, seems to be a very important category uh, for you um, and how you're articulating, thinking through Asian American theology, Asian American identity. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering why, why that category is so important to you theologically, you know, personally, whatever, you know, what, what inspires you yeah. about it? Do you choose it over other categories or did, did you just sort of feel drawn to it? You know, when we talk about covenant, it's really talking about elections, talking about the fact that God uses Israel, right? So it's not something that I can kind of just pick and choose and not choose. We have to make some sense of it, right? And I think part of us erasing Jewishness, especially when we start like making our Christianity very esoteric and disembodied, because you know the Jewish tradition, which we're part of it in that sense, is very embodied, right? Our, our bodies matter, so. One of the ways I think I came to it and I realized, oh, this is a, this is a grand theme of scripture. These are, you know, there are multiple themes like that. Is this idea that does, does who I am, like particularly who I am matter to God, right? Like, does it go both ways? It's one thing if God, you know, like otherwise, I'm not really sure if you can really say Asian Americanness matters. I, I'm open to that. If theologically, if we realize the fact that, hey, all of our social, our social identities don't really matter, Maybe theologically that's what it is, right? But I just don't see that there's no way, I mean, because if nothing else, 
I'm a particular Gentile, right? That Gentile never goes away because God sees that. So there's, it's a matter of like what God sees and recognizes. Right? I mean, you know, God sees everything. But the question is, what does it mean for that to be a part of the relationship, right? And this piece that I'm recognizing. And, and the fact that, I mean, in terms, in terms of kind of an I and thou relationship that we have, like, you know, if you use like barbarian kind of categories, the fact that God has an I and thou relationship with us, right? The fact that who we are matters to God. It's not like God is reflecting upon who I am. Like, it's like an I and I thing where God's like, well, this is who I am. And you're just a reflection of who I want you to be, right? Which is not the case. There's this idea of, um, of us actually mattering. I and mean, one of the things that I, that I love in scripture is why God would name God's people Israel. It's a bizarre idea. Why don't you name them as people who obey? Because you know what Israel means, right? One, one who fights God, basically. One who wrestles with... Why would you name your people one who fights God? That's a bizarre idea. If the goal, if God's goal was for us to purely submit, just call it that, right? I mean, so this is not a knock on Islam, but that's what Islam means, right? That's submission. Just submit. I mean, I think there's a lot of things about Islam that you can respect, so I, that's, that's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm not going in that direction. I'm just saying, why do you name your people one who wrestles. And why is it affirmed all throughout Jewish tradition? Right? The people who are the closest to God get in God's face. And God allows it to happen, which I'm like baffling, right? But there's something about who they are that matters. And I'm thinking, well, there's, so following that, following that idea, you keep on going and you realize, wait a minute, so what else about who they are matters? Right? That's basically why I think I ended up there. And then you start realizing, oh, all this matters. Now, when I talk about Asian American theology, once again, I'm not talking about reducing all of us, all of ourselves and saying Asian Americanness is the only thing that matters. Obviously not, right? But this matters to us as well, and you should take stock of it, right? And our Asian American churches should take off stock of it because when you start gathering Asian Americans in a group, the Asian Americanness gets reaffirmed. Like if you have one, if you have one Korean American, it's one thing, but if you put Korean Americans in a room, then Korean Americanness starts accentuating, right? So you have to figure out what this looks like. You have to kind of take, take stock of that. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean the fact that you, you explicitly have to do this thing. I mean, I think some people are like, does that mean that every sermon you say, because we're Asian American? No. We don't do that with any ministry, right? There's some things that, in terms of either Greek exegesis or cultural exegesis, we don't always have to name. But you have to be informed of what that really means, right? And sometimes it's not, it's not the most beneficial thing to name that. But you should be informed in saying, I think this is what's happening here. And maybe this is should inform how I, how I preach, how I teach, how I think about pastoral ministry. That's a really important nuance, by the way, right? It's not so much the fact that we should all be explicitly Asian American. Sometimes you being implicitly so is actually really, really beneficial. And this is the particular ministry strategy you want to think about. So I want to yeah. encourage folks in the room to think about their questions. And I'm going to keep scanning for raised hands. And I also want to encourage folks on Airmeet to put their questions in the Q&A chat and to upvote them. Here is one from Albert Wong. So struck by Dr. Lee's statement regarding Asian Americans pouring themselves out in ministry at the expense of their families, I see aspects of Minjung theology here. Where does Han Chong fit into your framework? Um, I think Han Chong, whether it be, you know, Dunchi, whatever, right? So, I mean, I think the only issue with me and talking about Han and Zhang is that 
why just these? I, I think they're all helpful, right? I'm like, uh, so I was talking to Korean American, uh, well, I was talking to a Filipino American woman, and she said, yeah, I heard Koreanness is all about Han. And I said, that's, by the way, that's the definition of essentialism, okay? That's what you're trying to avoid here, right? I'm like, that's, a par that's part of it, but a lot of Koreans now will tell you that Han, which started in the 70s, doesn't describe them. They've moved on. Now, it's possible. So when Korean Americans are obsessed with Han, it's because we're still stuck in, like, 70s, right? In depth of theology. And it's helpful, but maybe because we can't resolve our trauma. That's, that's a different issue altogether. But why this? Why not Nunchi? Oh, Jung's fine too. Let's just, there's multiple things here, right? There's multiple heritage. Why would you reduce it down to one or two things? I think methodologically, sometimes you need to research. You know, it's important to kind of focus down, right? Because you can't write about everything altogether. But in real life, you have to be really careful, right? The ministry you have to be careful because if, if, if it's a reducing aspect of it and saying, oh, this is the only thing you are, that's the exact essentialism we're trying to avoid. So especially why I think all, they, they can all be helpful in terms of thinking about these things. And even Minjung theology, I mean, I think so much of all that stuff, I, I think there's so much theology that we can glean from because the question was, what do you love? I'm like, I, there's so much Asian American theology that I, I, I'm in dialogue with, right? I, I think the biggest distinction that I think Dave and I we talk about a lot is how do you make sure that I should, I, our, our theology is ecclesially oriented? The fact that we're writing for our people. Because it is possible as an Asian American theologian to, to write to white audience, to get that accolade, and to make sure that you go high up in the, in the totem pole in academia. Academia is white. They'll give affirmation to you if you write to a white audience. And that will not serve our community. So we struggle about this a lot. How do we make sure we, serve, we write to our own community? Because that means, so I, that's why if you write to your own community, you don't, you're not going to orientalize as much. If you write to white community, I will talk about all the weirdest things because that's what they want, right? Let me tell you how we are strange, right? Oh, that's good because we don't have that. When I think about Asian American stuff, I think about the weird stuff. That's what I want. Exactly what Hollywood does to us, right? Hollywood wants the, the dumpling stories. They want the weird, you know, cultural trauma. They want, this is basically what Randall Park was talking about. His new book, new uh, film coming out called uh, True Comings. And saying, what if we're just talking and chatting? Does Hollywood want that? They don't want that. Like, oh, we have that done already. We don't need you for that. That's not even an Asian American story because the markers of an Asian American story is the fact that you look weird. That is not beneficial to us. Don't listen to those narratives and do theology that way because that's not, gonna, that's not our, our, our community, right? Don't use those white categories for your own theology because it will not serve our people. And I think some of these things, I think the way that sometimes we handle Han or Zhang, it is kind of orientalizing. I mean, I think we have to handle it a bit more with care. The fact that we don't want to base our whole theology this way because it, white liberals would love that stuff. But does it, well, yes and no. You have to be careful. So that, that, that's one of the things I say. We have another question from Joyce. What structural change do you recommend with regard to seminary curriculum to help Asian American students to move away from kindergarten babble of bad Asian American church experience? So what we did at Fuller was, uh, I think I told you, like, so, I don't know if I said it. My title in the beginning was Asian, Professor of Theology and Asian American Ministry. I thought I needed to teach ministry. What I realized, we just need to teach Asian American studies. So I, it's changed now to Theology and Asian American Studies. We just need all that as well, right? All the Asian American Studies 
So that we're at, and then we have to engage that with theology. Because we need technical ideas to engage that. We can't engage my babble with academic theology because how would you do that? And that's one of the reasons why we need labels, right? It's like, so I studied cog, you know, uh, cognitive linguistics because your world is defined by your conceptual vocabulary. And if your vocabulary is very narrow, that's how you're going to interact with the world. And there are certain things in the world you won't even see. What you want is a very robust conceptual vocabulary. So you can be like, oh, that and not this, that and not this. And you can in, 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 uh, interact with that thing because you have a handle on it now with the gospel, with theological reflection. But you can't engage something that you, you can't describe with theology. And that, that, that's one of the most important things. So, I mean, we have multiple classes at Fuller because that's, so people are like, that's weird. Like, I mean, like, we have four, you know, like, we have three core classes we rotate on a regular basis. Now, first class, we don't teach Asian American theology. First class, we teach Asian American studies. You don't even know how to critique Asian American studies or Asian American theology. You have, not, you, you have no idea how to even think about it. We just give them well, my book, which is basically what the class is about, and we read Asian American psychology. That's actually one of our main textbooks because you have a lot of psychologists at Fuller. So we give them that as we think about these experiences and so we can actually become up to speed so that we actually have a higher level of articulation. It's a very painful class. People go to therapy after the class. It's like to go from here to over here in 10 weeks because we're in a quarter system, it's like me stirring up all their pain. They have to really kind of think about it, right? And so, and to get from kindergarten to graduate level, I mean, maybe upper level college because how far can I push, right? It's a very painful experience, but I say, you have to hurry up because you don't have that much time. I, you don't have multiple classes for this. This is part of our problem, but this is what it means. So, that's basically where the book comes from. I'm trying to convince everything so you don't have to take, read four or five books. Take a question from the room, uh, Easton. Hi, uh, my name is Easton Law, and um, this kind of relates to the curriculum question, but it's also also quite nerdy in the sense that I'm interested in more of the sources and, and the journey in which you draw out your arguments. I've read the first two chapters of your book, the heavy stuff, and, and I like the heavy stuff. So what I noticed was you act, in addition to drawing from ancient American studies, which you've emphasized a lot here, um, and your classical white yeah. theological background, Bart, Bonhoeffer, et cetera, draw quite a bit from uh, World Christianity Mission Studies people. Um, Andrew Walls, Laman Sana, Jonathan Bach. And so and, and these people aren't typically standardized in theological curriculum. People tend to have to be, say, oh, I'm interested in World Christianity, or I'm interested in mission studies to access those people. So I'm wondering, how did you end up accessing these people? And how important is that, oh, okay. that discourse to this larger project that we do? Because that's where I traffic, and I, I noticed that prominence in your, really in your work. So, uh, when I started, uh, remember I told you that I thought that there were four books on Asian American? This is how, I mean, there were more. But I really thought there was actually, how would you build a whole center or even a program with four books? And I realized some of the classes sounded like this. I was in church, and I was like, wait a minute, this is like a Mickey Mouse class. You're just like licking your wounds. That's not a real class. We need real substantive material, right? One of my favorite sayings at Fuller is don't be a hack and know your stuff, but said a bit strongly. So that's basically what I talk about all the time, right? If you, if you, or, or, you know, like good contextual work is interdisciplinary anyway. So if you read the later part of it, I draw from interpersonal science, you know, uh, biology, I draw from trauma studies, like this, all these things I draw from, right? So, I think from the very beginning, we, I knew it would be interdisciplinary. And I had to draw from different places because the quadrilateral is an interdisciplinary approach. 
you draw from different places and you realize, oh, we live here. Now, that was even before I discovered Asian American studies. I, I discovered it, like Columbus did, okay? <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> right? But I realized, oh my gosh, like, what, what is this in all my life, right? So I think there's that element of it. But I mean, like, you know, for me, like I studied with Daryl Guter, I have a, a THM in Missy So I know that that gave us something. And I realized, oh, that's problematic in a different way, right? Like, uh, and actually, World Christianity is changing, as you know, because now it's in, including race and colonization, because before they didn't. And, you know, if you're trying to solve, if you're trying to race, if you're trying to solve race problems with uh, cultural anthropology, you are not, because there's two different things, right? So you have to have different tools for different things. That tool metaphor, I think you'll find it helpful. The fact that you want to fill your toolbox as ministers with multiple things, so you say, oh, family systems, this is going to be really helpful here. Oh, trauma studies, this is going to be really helpful here. But all that has connections, right? There's actually theological uh, work that interacts with trauma. There's theological work that interacts with family studies. So this is basically where all these other disciplines helps you. I mean, you grab whatever you have because it's all hands on deck. Whatever you can do, right? Literature, psychology, you know, uh, I think all that, you just want to be open to what tools you need. And sometimes you, you kind of create your own tools and you realize, oh, you don't have to create that. This, is, this tool has been around for 20 years. It's well used and developed. And that's when you realize, wow, that's like when I discovered the concept of white normativity. I was like, oh, it's been around for a long time, right? Because it's not white supremacy, it's white normativity, right? And it, it works in a very different way. Um, or like given the idea of microaggression. I mean, I literally was experiencing something at Fuller, and I was like, what is this? It's something slight, small that I'm experiencing. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is a whole field of people studying microaggressions and microaggressive trauma and all these different things. So sometimes you'll experience something. I mean, I'm like a detective sometimes. Like, what is that? That's definitely something. What is that? And that's been my whole journey. And realizing, oh, this is a real thing. Well, that's a real thing. So hopefully I will save you the trouble of one, because literally I feel like I was stumbling in the dark. Like, oh, this is a real thing. This is a real thing, right? So hopefully some of that, uh, you know, I could, some of the resources I found can be helpful. And if you critique it, it's perfectly fine. Maybe you can improve it. It's not so much the fact that this is the end though. It's just, hey, let's keep on talking because let's talk about methodological ideas. Like, because if we can, we can improve upon that. Right. One last question, because it's been sitting here in the queue, and I know we're at time. I'll keep it short. Please do. From Ben, what perspective does Asian American theology offer in our current context of deconstruction, evangelicalism? Oh, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, this is exactly relevant, because you're realizing the fact that evangelicalism didn't come from the sky. That's what it is, right? You realize, oh, this is just, it's all overlapped with everything else. There's a lot of things here. How, does, how do you get Bible, guns, you know, nationalism on one, one package? And you realize this is a really weird animal. So it's owning the fact that that comes from a particular place, just like how you're saying that we need a particular thing. For so many of us, we just kind of copy that because we thought this came from the sky. We thought John Piper talked to God. And we're going to basically copy his books or Tim Keller or whatever, right? But we realize, oh, okay, I'm not going to throw the whole thing out. You don't have to. We just have to realize this is what I get, this is what I don't get. Because that's who they are, right? So much of theological education 
is literally for and research because I'm a seminary professor. Now I know so much of research and what they call research is for white suburban churches. That's literally your textbooks. So you can get a whole PhD and you go to Asian American church and be like, this is not relevant. And it's not your fault, nor is it the problem of your Asian American church because they're so messed up because what I thought. They're, they're hopeless because I learned the best in the world and I can't apply it. They must be hopeless. When I realized these books weren't written for us, they were literally written for different people with different kind of questions, right? So, and some of them, they owned it. Other people didn't. Evangelicalism didn't own anything. That's basically why now we're having this, you know, kind of, kind of judgment, like own who you are and this is basically what your weaknesses and strengths are. And so, I, I mean, I'm careful, like, I don't, like, personally, I was profoundly influenced by Tim Keller. But and Tim, Keller, Tim, Keller, Tim Keller got me to Luther, and then I didn't have, need Tim Keller anymore. I'm like, because I realized what he was doing in his context. I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to do something with Luther in my context, right? So you can do different things, and you can still be indebted to different people. You don't have to throw the whole thing out, but realize what I got, what I didn't get. I think it's important to think about that. I think, and also, I think it's important in our journeys not to really react so harshly because it's not beneficial. You're going to basically pendulum swing back and forth. Not because they're great, but because God used them. Just like Samson and other people in the Bible. Like, this is broken people. God uses people. So I'm like, no, because I met God there. So it's about statement about God, not necessarily about white evangelism or whatever. I'm not saying that we should throw everything out. I'm saying, no, just know who you are and what these people are so you can learn and do theological work that you need to. You can't copy somebody else's homework. It's their work, they're doing it, so you can't just copy it for your context. And a lot of pastors know they're doing it. I think I'm just trying to give them more resources. Because I think a lot of good pastors are doing that work. They are doing it. They need more resources to do that work they're doing every day. That's a great note to end on. Let's thank Dr. Lee again for time. And just as a reminder for folks, April 28th to 29th, that's the next Asian American theology titled Multiple Belongings in U.S. Christianity. Thank you all so much. We here at the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary invite you to join in the ongoing dialogue on Asian American faith, identity, social engagement, and ministry through our newsletter, blog, and upcoming conferences at ltiaa.com.